Hello and welcome to the Indian American Experience podcast. I'm your host, Bindia Parikh. Indian Americans are a group that defies being painted in one stroke, be it in political or ideological leanings, definition of identity, or perception of their place in society. So join me in listening to the journeys and experiences of a diverse group of Indian Americans or Desis through lighthearted, casual conversations and see if we can find common threads, maybe shed some myths and hear some interesting stories. Let's get started. My guest today is Kaitan. Kaitan migrated to the U.S. at the age of 20, completed his undergrad and MBA, and is now recently retired after an over 30-year-long career in the M&A field. Kaitan enjoys photography, digital art, music, reading, and physical fitness. Hi, Kaitan. Welcome. Hi, Bindya. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So you mentioned photography as one of your hobbies, and I have seen your photography and digital art portfolio. It's very impressive. So tell me a little bit about that. What's your favorite subject to photograph? What have you done lately? So I have a couple of favorite subjects. My absolute favorite are people. I love faces. Every face is unique and people's faces and expressions and the way light you know, hits certain certain parts of the hair and the face are very, very interesting to me. So I love to do that. I love to do portraits. And I also like landscapes. In fact, I love this time of the year, autumn when all the colors are are changing. So I do, you know, make some day trips around the area. Sometimes I go away for more than a few days. So I love that. I love mountains and, and lakes. So those are the two main types of photography that, that I enjoy. That sounds wonderful to be able to capture the beauty of what you see. I'm sure it gives you a lot of satisfaction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Our listeners can look at your photographs in the link that I'm going to put in your show notes. So now let's go to when you came here. You said you came here at about 20. And what was the main reason that you decided to come? Mainly for education. My mother was a huge proponent of getting a good education. And she knew firsthand about the the value of an American education. She came here and got her MBA from Wharton in 1960. Wow. Thanks to her father, because her father was also someone who who really valued education quite a bit. Um, he, He was a visionary. So for someone like my mother to come here in those years yeah. was quite uncommon. After that, she returned to India. And then with us, she wanted us to have a similar experience mm-hmm. and a similar quality of education. So she, you know, it was more than a suggestion. She, she said, mm-hmm. well, you must go to the US and, and get further education there. So that's how I ended up here. So having grown up in Bombay and then coming here in your 20s, with the influence of your mom already having been here earlier. Do you recall doing anything consciously to acculturate when you came here to study? Well, growing up in Bombay, it was a very cosmopolitan city. We had people from all over the world, not just India. Right. So it was a a cornucopia of different cultures, different foods, people from different ethnic backgrounds. I studied in an English medium school, so language was was not an issue when I came here to the to the U.S. There were just a few things that I'd say made me consciously change certain things. For example, 
certain pronunciations. In mm -hmm. India, we say schedule, over here we say schedule. Yep. In India, I think in certain parts, we say education, over here we say education. And then, of course, it was the food. While I had had Western food in Bombay, I certainly didn't know how to cook anything. So the first six months, it was all pizzas and hot dogs and burgers, and which was great for initially, but after a while, it you know, kind of got tired of that. And then did learn to pick up a few cooking tips here and there, especially when, when mom visited, she would teach us a few things. Right. Another thing was sports. I did try to get into the American culture of baseball and American football, but I really haven't taken strongly to that. I'll watch maybe the Super Bowl once a mm -hmm. year, and that's about it. Baseball, I'll, I'll, I'll never watch. And that was actually one aspect of the American culture that I felt didn't allow me to fully integrate with folks, especially at work. When I used to go to lunch with my boss and a few coworkers, 90% of the conversation was around sports, mainly football, sometimes baseball. And because of my lack of interest mm -hmm. in, in those areas, I really couldn't participate. So I was kind of a, you know, casual listener. And then after a while, um, I actually stopped going to lunch with them because it wasn't fun for them. It wasn't fun for me, right? Me, you know, me being there. <laughs> so I used to teach cultural geography and I asked my students the question, what do you think unites America as one? What is it that pulls everybody together? And mm -hmm. overwhelmingly, the answer was sports and football. So there you go. You experienced right. that. Yeah. Another anecdote I have is when I first came into this country, wanted to go see a movie. In those days, people actually at the movie houses, the, you know, a live person picked up the phone every time you called them. I was in a small town, in a small college. There was only one theater playing one movie. There were no multiplexes uh, at that time. Okay. And in India, the big thing is, you know, who's acting in the movie, right? Who, like, so then, then you decide whether you want to see the movie kind of based on that. Right. And, and that, that, that was the cost of the movie. So I called the, the theater and this lady answered the phone. She told me what movie it was. And I asked her, what is the cost? And she said, $4.50. <laughs> and it took me a second to kind of figure out what her answer was. <laughs> and then it hit me that she's talking about the cost and not the cost, which, like, you know, I wanted, like who's acting in it. Uh, so, right. so that was a little bit of a interesting, you know, cultural differentiation there. Yeah. Right. The pronunciation of the <laughs> yeah. names. I hear you. Yeah. And then, yeah, we worked on it, didn't we? There are people who continue to stoutly stick to their way of speaking English. And there was a part of me that wondered, oh, should I have stuck to how I grew up speaking English in India? Because now I try to say things the American way. Mm -hmm. But then I, I think I'm okay with making the shift because I want to be understood, right? And I want to understand. So right. I think it was the right decision to mm. learn and change. Sure. But it took some time, like you experienced. Right. So many years later, when the time came to raise your daughter here, how strongly did you feel about ensuring that she picks up what you define as Indian values and important Indian culture elements? So we, you know, certainly wanted her to have those values and the culture, but it wasn't a conscious thing. We wouldn't say, oh, these are the values and this is the culture, et cetera. We thought that she would naturally pick it up as she experienced different things growing up with us. One thing we did do was we 
I especially wanted her to learn Hindi because I think it's such a beautiful language and it has a lot to offer. She could have enjoyed the music, movies, and also when she returned to India, she would have had a much easier time communicating with people. And it's a much richer language than English. So I thought it would, you know, give her that as well. Mm. So we enrolled her into this. It was almost like a community Hindi class. They called it a Hindi class. Okay. And she was very young. She was probably four, five, six years old, somewhere in that range. But the class took on kind of a life of its own. It wasn't really focused on the language. They started participating in more cultural events, the festivals. They mm -hmm. were having kids, you know, learn these dance routines and perform them during Diwali and other occasions. So she kind of lost interest in that because it wasn't focused on the language. Mm -hmm. And when I used to drop her off and spend some time over there, I also realized that fact. Mm -hmm. And so we pulled her out of that. But she did pick up some Gujarati staying home because her grandmom lives with us. My wife's mother lives with us. Okay. And she speaks in Gujarati quite a bit. So fortunately, you know, with that, she, she did pick up some, some Gujarati. At least. She understands a fair bit. She can't really speak the language. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least she did receive, you know, that part of the culture. But she loves Indian food. She likes watching some, you know, Indian movies. She likes Indian music mm -hmm. to a certain extent, not everything. Yeah. And in fact, her friends are also kind of getting into, you know, watching Indian movies. Uh, they are also very interested in attending Indian weddings. Indian weddings are becoming huge nowadays because of all the fun and the pomp and, you know, the, the dance and everything yeah. that, that's involved in, in an Indian wedding. The beauty of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that kind of happened naturally. Yeah. And, you know, we do get together with Tejal's family. She has maybe 20, 25 people here living in New Jersey from her uncle's side of the aunts and cousins, etc. Oh, so we get together with them during Diwali and Raksha Bandhan. So that also kind of happened naturally. Oh, I'm sure that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, for that to happen. Most of my family is in India and Erin's mm. siblings are in California, so not close by. And this time of the year is when I really feel that tug of not having a lot of family around. So that's nice for your daughter to be able to experience that around festivals. And around here in New Jersey, now people are getting more familiar with Indian holidays like Diwali and of course, like you said, Indian food and other such things. And I think the natural process of familiarity and exposure is gradually helping make us Indian Americans be seen for who we really are in some ways, in our cultural aspects, at least. We know that we may look similar, but we are very diverse in our backgrounds, in our experience. And the stereotypical image of us as a community is constantly evolving. Would you agree? Oh, certainly. Yes. So I know that you did research what stereotypes are associated with Indian Americans in this country historically and how some of them have been shed away and some still exist. Would you like to share with us what you found? So, yeah, I totally agree with you that there certainly are some stereotypes here. I'm going to start out with a couple of anecdotes, some personal okay. experiences, and then I'll go into uh, the research. So when I first came here for undergrad in college, not everyone was familiar with folks from India. So a question I got from a Caucasian lady was, she asked me, hey, you know, I hear that on the streets of India, the human beings 
walk with animals like lions and tigers and, and elephants. How do you guys manage with that kind of stuff? Like, isn't it dangerous? So it kind of took me by surprise because I did realize that the amount of information was so lacking. So I said, oh, well, you know, my initial uh, response was to add a little bit of humor. So I said, oh, then, you know, that's easy. We have uh, two sets of traffic lights, one for the human <laughs> beings and one for the animals. <laughs> but then I went on to explain to her that, you know, I said what she believes is incorrect. Obviously, mm -hmm. we have cities, you know, just like we have here in the U.S. and we have the rural areas. And no, there are, you know, no animals or anything like that walking along with, uh, with the human beings. Uh, so that was one. And then when I got a job in one of the companies, I was supposed to have multiple interviews. But after the first interview, the manager who I interviewed with called me back and said that he had accepted me. And if I'd like, I, you know, the position is mine. Hmm. So I did accept. And about a month into that job, okay. we were just sitting around waiting for a conference to start. And I asked him why he hired me. Mm -hmm. And he said, because I'm Indian and Indians are smart. Yeah. yeah. He didn't say, well, you know, you fit the skill set, et cetera, the education, anything. Nope. That was his only response. I thought that was quite interesting. You know, that, that stereotype yeah. of yeah. Indians uh, being smart. Yeah, a very positive stereotype, but yeah. has its own implications. Yeah, of course, I proved him right, but that's just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. So <laughs> you had to be perhaps a model employee, which is fine, but I think I'm trying to take this into what you shared with me from your research, the model minority stereotype, which mm -hmm. sounds positive, but if you delve deeper into it, can have some issues with it as well. So tell us about that. Yeah. So that actually goes hand in hand with, you know, the uh, experience I had, right? So that stereotype essentially portrays Asian Indians as highly intelligent, hardworking, academically successful. And you're right, you know, while it does have kind of positive annotations right. uh, on the surface, it can create certain unrealistic expectations. And, you know, it can overlook some of the challenges of, of diversity within, within the community. Correct, correct. And I hope to interview our children's generation and invite them to talk to us about that, because mm -hmm. not only do they probably face this, the pressure of the stereotype, but I wonder if when we raised our children, did we put similar pressures on them to be the model minority? I'm curious to see what they have to say. Mm -hmm. But let's move on to the other stereotypes that you've researched and found. Yeah. What? So, you know, the other one was that all Indians are tech savvy and they're all into IT and they're all engineers and they all work in the technology field. While there may be a decent amount of presence in, in those areas, people pursue all sorts of interests and careers. So it's mm -hmm. not, a, you know, obviously not a, everyone's in, in, in that field. Another one came across was, you know, that all Indians have accents and, and they have an issue with, with the proficiency of the language, of the English language, which also can lead to certain assumptions, you know, about their communication skills and, and intelligence, et cetera. Because if someone, you know, has that stereotype, then they would perhaps steer away from meeting that person or interviewing the person for a, for a particular job, et cetera. Absolutely. I, I see it as an immigrant issue. 
I still struggle with the accent issue, even though it's been so long and I've tried. But initially, I'm sure people heard it and, like you said, made a judgment, which is unfair. And I think that's something that every immigrant goes through and then in varying degrees tries to overcome, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, another one I came across was stereotypes about food and clothing, etc. You know, they perhaps feel that all Indians, you know, smell like curry and, and they dress mm-hmm. traditionally in the traditional outfits like saris and, and uh, other attire. Mm. Um, so, you know, that can also kind of misrepresent the, the diversity of the culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe one more was they do sometimes perceive us as being outsiders or foreigners. Yeah. So even though we are living in the U.S., yeah. maybe some of us have been here for generations. Right. Uh, but there's still that stereotype. Oh no, you know, yeah, Indians. Yeah, they are. You know, they don't belong here. They yeah, don't assimilate. Like- Perhaps uh, one more, maybe that all Indians get married through some sort of an arranged marriage situation, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily the case. Especially mm-hmm. nowadays with the younger generation, you know, most of them are you know trying to find their partners online. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Interesting that you bring up arranged marriage. That's a whole other conversation. I actually, in a prior interview with a couple whose children are also married now, I did pose this question. And it was a very interesting discussion because we got into defining an arranged marriage and even the definition has evolved over time. Mm -hmm. So that's actually well-researched. That's an exhaustive list. And what you said in your second anecdote about you being hired mainly because there came with your being an Indian American, the assumption of you being smart and hardworking. And that seems to be very much a conspicuous prevalent stereotype among the others you mentioned as well. So on a lighter note now, would you like to share an interesting, cool, lesser known fact about Indian culture or history that you want the world to know? Well, it was lesser known to me. So I will share this. India was the first country to mine diamonds. I the, did not know that. Yeah, the purest diamonds were found in Andhra Pradesh, in the Krishna River Delta. So India led the world in diamond production from the time of discovery. Uh, I think it was approximately in the 9th century BC to about the mid-18th century AD. So quite a long time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think now it's probably superseded by Russia. I see. Um, so, yeah, it used to be the biggest producer of diamonds. I think currently, if I'm not mistaken, it's the biggest processor of diamonds. So all yeah. the polishing and all the cutting, et cetera, I think it still holds pretty large piece of the world's pie. Where yeah. is it concentrated in India? I think it's mainly concentrated in, in Surat, which is a city in Gujarat. I see. I recently came across a, a quite an interesting bit of information. There is an architecture firm called Morphogenesis, which is an Indian firm. And they actually recently unveiled the Surat Diamond Bourse, which has surpassed the Pentagon to become the world's largest office building. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So it's set on the outskirts of the city. It's about 660,000 square meters compared to 620,000 square meters for the Pentagon. Uh, wow. The Pentagon held that, that title of the world's largest office building for 80 years since okay. it was completed in 1943, Okay, uh, but no more. Now it's in Surat. 
That is very cool. I did not know that. Now, before I let you go, in your opinion, is there something that Indian Americans here could do better? Well, if I were to kind of classify that with the older generation, the interpersonal skills, I think, can be improved. Just little things like saying hi, you know, when you approach someone. People seem to be too, I don't know, they have a certain look on their face that makes them seem unfriendly. I don't know. Mm. They can also simulate better by, by dressing more in more Western clothes, mm. especially when they are out in certain areas where it requires, you know, kind of Western clothing. For example, on, on a sports court, I've seen people, you know, wearing saris and playing sports. You know, sari is a beautiful dress. It's a very elegant dress. But I'm not sure that it's an appropriate dress when you're playing sports, right? So, And then also with the language, not everyone has taken the time to learn the language and perhaps change the way they pronounce certain things, right. uh, whereby changing the accent. So yeah. those kinds of things, I think the people probably need to work on. So I guess it's all in the balancing act, assimilating, giving up a few things, acquiring new things, and just being aware. Yeah. I did say that was my last question, but maybe this one is. When you go back to India, and uh, I believe you do go back frequently, are you nostalgic when you go back, or is it a mix of many feelings and thoughts? It used to be a mixed feeling. I used to feel a sense of comfort when I visited India, Yeah, mainly because of the language, the culture, and the food. Yeah, that that allowed me to interact very easily and effortlessly with with others. But during my last couple of of visits, that feeling has kind of dissipated to an extent. Not completely though. Now I I don't get that that sense of simpatico, you know, with the population over there. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the kind of the pendulum of pros and cons has kind of shifted more towards uh, the cons. Okay. You know, because there are certain aspects that I dislike quite a bit now. Hmm. Uh, there's obviously the bureaucracy. There's, there's quite a bit of bribery and corruption at all levels. People have generally a lack of timeliness. They'll promise, you know, to be somewhere or call you, et cetera. And, and you know, you got to just be after them. You never hear from them. And they don't call you back. You know, they'll, people will even make an appointment yeah. um, saying they'll be there at a certain time. And if they're late or not going to show, they don't even bother telling you. Hmm. So uh, there's also this, I get this feeling that people generally, I shouldn't use the word generally, that some people are disingenuous. They also try to give an image of, you know, being important or, you know, knowledgeable or, or wealthy, hmm. maybe to fit in more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So there's, there seems to be this incessant need to compete and, you know, keep up with the others. So because of that, I feel there's kind of been a kind of a paradigm shift in the mindset of people, which causes kind of causing a lack of rectitude for me. Okay. And, you know, it leaves me with a void generally as a country as a whole. That's been my experience. I could be yeah. totally wrong. I can ask someone else and they'll say, yeah, not at all. You know, I, every time I go to India, you know, it's, it's great and people are great, et cetera. But yeah, just, that, I'm just relaying my experience. Right. That does need to apply that. That's your experience, and that is what I'm looking for. And I appreciate your honest take on that, and thank you for that. It's just come through very clearly from 
what we've spoken about, that both India and America are evolving fast, changing, while also remaining constant, which is why it's so much fun to make and continually refresh our observations and credences, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the U.S. also has its faults. I'm not saying that, you know, the U.S. is perfect. Yeah. But while it does have its faults, I think for now, America is my Elysium. Okay, that's well summed up. Let's leave it at that. And thank you so much, Ketan. That was awesome, informative, and thought-provoking. Thank you for having me, Bindya, and I wish you all the best on your show. Thank you. And as usual, I'll be back next week with another wonderful representative of the Indian American community. Hope you'll join me too.